The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box in your headlines this Monday morning. U.S. President Donald Trump appears to try to convince Georgia's top election official to overturn the election result as control of the Senate hangs in the balance. The bottom line is many, many times the 11,779 margin that they said we lost by. Uh, We had vast, I mean, the state is in turmoil. China's factory activity continues to expand in December, but eases off November's decade high as the Chaixin manufacturing PMI falls to 53.0. Uh, New lockdowns looming in Europe with Germany expected to extend its restrictions and here in the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson warning of tighter measures. Meanwhile, in Asia, Japan considers another state of emergency. And UK ticks off the new year and the first full week post-Brexit with the Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying it's time for Britain to think big. We have a massive opportunity. Uh, to expand our horizons and to think globally and to think big. And this is the moment for this country. Uh, Meanwhile, the UK becomes the first country to roll out the AstraZeneca Oxford University vaccine with more than half a million doses ready for use today in what the health secretary has called a pivotal moment. Morning. Happy New Year. Yeah, and see so you've you got too. a memo on what to wear. Absolutely. Copycat. Absolutely. Blooming hell, look, we couldn't be more identical. You can't go wrong. Blue, White, dark, blue, grey, tie, blue. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's How are work. you? Uh, very well. Did you have a lovely Christmas? Uh, I, I did. I've seen you for two weeks. I know. A bit of a shock to the system, though, getting up uh, at uh, three this morning. I was up at 11.30 last After, night. Uh, <laughs> what has it been? Well, you've had a bit longer. I I've think had I had 16 ten, days 10 off. Days. 16 days. days off. 16 days. And what a great holiday the And what did you learn? Well, I learned lots of things. I learned January's going to be tough for many reasons as well, not even considering my dry January and veganuary and all that nonsense as well. But look... We are in a fascinating place, but things have moved on. I just wanted to get this off my chest earlier on because the world is not the same as it was at the tail end of 2020. It feels like it's the same. It's got the same economic pressures, the same burgeoning markets as well, the same key concerns. But I think things have moved on and I think that things could move very quickly or it's going to be a very cataclysmic year. I think basically here's, here's what's changed. On, we will not be spending the next year talking about Brexit. We will be analysing what happened, but we will not be talking about Brexit. So that I, I know that seems very parochial, it seems very British, but it was a major factor that we spoke about for global markets for four, five years. So we're not going to be spending the whole year talking about that. We're going to look at the post-Brexit era. We're not going to be talking about Trump all year, despite that extraordinary headline uh, with that Georgia state official, who happens to be a Republican, by the way. We will not be talking about Trump all year. We'll be analysing what happened with Trump. We'll be thinking whether he goes forward and gets involved in 2022 and 2024, maybe. But we'll be looking at the Biden era. So we will two factors have gone. That is a fact, right? Despite what Mr. Ted Cruz and others are doing in the Senate. That has gone. 
Will we be talking about the third biggest factor all year, and that is COVID as well? And this is my point about the cataclysm. We either won't be, i.e. we'll be analysing the economic carnage of it as we go on, as in the post-COVID era, or we'll still be saying this is still clear and present throughout the year. And that is the biggest worry. Without what anyone thinks, without a doubt, that is the big worry for this year. If the vaccination programme works, if these vaccines work, we will be talking by Easter about a post-COVID era. Undoubtedly, if they don't work, then we've got a big problem. Let me be the ghost of Christmas past for a moment here. Um, I think you're absolutely right to tick off some of those boxes, but I think there will be some things that are going to hang around for us uh, for the early part of this year, and we'll just have to see which way this goes. And we're going to talk about this um, in the programme, and I think we've got Sylvia coming up, and hopefully she'll give us a line as well, because I think this EU-China trade agreement has perhaps um, sparked off um, in the early part of this year, once again, a focus on the tripartite relationship. What does the EU, China and the US look like you in geopolitical terms? I absolutely am. Yeah. Because I think this lays down a very interesting gauntlet to Biden at this point. Look, the Europeans, and I know Dombrovskis was on our air over the Christmas period, arguing that all this does is level up the relationship between Europe and China to the point where we are after the first trade agreement between China and the United States. And he argued that on market access terms, all this does is creates the same opportunity for Europe as the US and China achieved in their first round of uh, trade agreement. But I don't know that the Biden administration will necessarily see that in those terms. They may see this as a gauntlet being laid down by the Europeans, perhaps to take their own path towards a relationship with China. And my sense is that early on, the Biden administration, as it's being put together, has been hinting that it wants to find a consensus with Europe perhaps to try to put pressure on China on lots of outstanding issues around human rights, around trade access, and so on and so forth. So I think that's something that's a hangover from 2020 that's going to matter as we come into 2021. And the other thing that worries me as the ghost of Christmas past is just how much consensus there is in the uh, economics community and in the investment banking community as they look at the opportunity for how you place your bets in the early part of this year everybody's on the same page weaker dollar reflation own a bit of gold yeah, buy emerging markets buy the uk catch up trade because the brexit deal's been done mm. and everybody seems to be in the same place and unfortunately we have that acceleration into the end of the year with both bitcoin and the dow and some of the other markets and it it does feel like um, there's a bit too much consensus on where to you. where to be. And I'm not going to disagree with all of those concerns that you have. I'm, I'm with you on all of them, by the way. I'm just trying to get rid of some of the, the, the major issues that have overhung these markets. For long time. But the fact of the matter is, what are these investment bankers going to say? What else are they supposed to say? Because they've all pretty much turned around saying you can't own bonds particularly or, or have them as a certain part of your portfolio, but not one that you think is going to generate much income as well. Now, despite the fact that obviously owning bonds has defied gravity and it's worked despite the concerns about a whole host of issues as well. There is a hint and Michael Howell at seven o'clock will bring that in as well about inflation potentially coming through as well. But the fact of the matter is what are these guys supposed to You're ladies and gentlemen, you're watching, you're investment banking world, your P&L is zero by the way. I remember this bit of the year, unless you kept over a little bit and marked your prices down a bit at the end of last year, which is legal of course, you can't do that. The fact is, 
You're starting at zero. You've made nothing this year yet, unless you've got a couple of deals up your sleeve or a couple of ideas. And you say, but the fact of the matter is, what else are they supposed to say? You can't own bonds. Oh, I don't know about this dollar trade, which is so contentious anyway. What, 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 how are we going to make? Oh, you better own equities. You better own equities. Of course they're going to say, otherwise they're not going to generate any activity, are they? If they turn around and say, I'm really worried about equities. I think there's bubbles forming here. Wouldn't touch Bitcoin because I don't understand it. Don't own bonds. Don't own this. They're not going to earn any money by telling everyone not to own stuff. So, of course, they've got to tell people to go out and buy something. You could have said all of those things at the end of last year, couldn't you, before we came into... Oh, yeah, some things are constant, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. So are you giving up anything for January? Uh, Your wife's spending? Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm not trying so to much. give up. Not so much. Maybe lay, off the, tie? Maybe lay off the okay, sauce a little bit. Maybe look lay off that the tie. sauce a little bit. Almost separated Do you think I, you think I wear mine better than you? We'll no. leave that for the audience to figure out. <laughs> uh, all right, let's 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 push on. Um, but uh, thanks for being with us for the early part of 2021. Stay with us for the rest of the year, hopefully. The rest and, of the show uh, be nice. We'll, we'll all make some money together. The rest of the year's optimistic. The rest of the show will be good enough for me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we're going to start off on a slightly downbeat tone, though, when it comes to the virus. Germany is expected to extend its coronavirus restrictions for at least another two weeks. With officials warning the numbers are still too high, Chancellor Angela Merkel and regional leaders are set to rubber stamp the move at a meeting on Tuesday. Cases continue to rise across the continent with France extending curfew times in some regions. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has warned further restrictions are likely on the way as the country reported over 50,000 cases for the sixth straight day. Boris Johnson said there were a range of tougher measures being considered but didn't go into details. Labour leader Keir Starmer urged the Prime Minister to reimpose a third lockdown across the country. Nationwide lockdown. Um, the Prime Minister is hinting that that's going to happen, but he's delaying again. And we can't afford that again. We can't allow the Prime Minister to use up the next two or three weeks and then bring in the national lockdown that is inevitable. Do it now. That's the necessary first step to get the virus back under control. So believe it or not, I've got a problem with this next read. I mean, we're Happy New Year, producers. Because I'll read it, and I've heard it everywhere, by the way. It's not just you lot. Uh, The UK has finally left the EU after 48 years as a member of the bloc and four and a half years of Brexit negotiations. Didn't we leave a year ago? Yes. That's what I thought. Yes, we did. The UK has formally completed its withdrawal at 11pm GMT on December 31st, albeit with little public fanfare from Brexit supporters due to coronavirus restrictions. The UK and EU will begin trading under a new treaty signed by the two sides on Christmas Eve. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson told the BBC Brexit will offer many new opportunities to British businesses looking to export. First of all, of course, there are going to be changes and we've made that clear. We've made that clear. And uh, actually... Uh, I think that there's a great opportunity for British SMEs and for exporters of all kinds, because because now that can't you pick that up and wave it again? Uh, 159 now, that, pages that, of bump. Now that red tape. That is, of course, uh, all that you have to do to sell around the world and, and to the EU. And so the mm. so the so what we've seen is many companies in this country uh, not exporting in the way that they could. The tragic reality of, of, of business life is that there is uh, some bureaucracy. We're trying to remove it. But we have a massive opportunity uh, to expand our horizons and to think globally okay. and to think big. Well, the Prime Minister there, Sylvia, talking about all that jam that we're going to get tomorrow. In the meantime, a little bit more red tape for British business. 
That's right. Quite a lot of uh, red tape and more paperwork for exporters on both sides, to be honest. And actually, I wanted to share this figure with you, which I find quite astonishing. And HMRC said that the post-Brexit arrangements will add £7 billion of bureaucracy. So that is quite a big figure. Uh, But so far, from a practical point of view in this post-Brexit world, we haven't seen uh, major disruptions at the borders. Things have been working quite smoothly. Also because, uh, in fact, we are just at the start of the new year. Uh, There hasn't been that much traffic, given that Friday was a bank holiday. Um, But nonetheless, there were reports of uh, six freight loads uh, trying to make their way from Wales to Ireland. They had to be turned away as they did not have the right paperwork. So there is quite a lot of changes for exporters and a lot of new papers, new forms that they have to fill, and and therefore new adjustments that businesses need to make going forward. But let me just make a final point about the reactions across Europe, because this was an important moment for the European Union. Uh, We heard from the 27 heads of state making comments that Uh, Even though they were happy with Michel Barnier's team and the work that they did uh, and the fact there was a trade deal on the table, it was nonetheless a sad moment for the EU that the transition period came to an end and that officially put uh, an end to uh, the Brexit process that had lasted uh, for four years, essentially. Um, And then there was also a very important message from the leaders, in particular from the French president, Emmanuel Macron, uh, making the comment that it is important for the EU to stay united and to essentially move forward. And there was a a message from uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the head of the European Commission, saying that it was time to put Brexit behind them. And so a lot of calls on unity and for the EU to focus on new things, because let's not forget that these negotiations took a lot of political capital, also from the European side, and, and they want to move on to certain things. For instance, now they want to work with the new administration with the United States. The European Commission has already been working on the priorities for when that starts um, in Washington, D.C. You mentioned moments ago the investment deal with China. So the EU really wants to move forward, wants to focus on new things and really leave Brexit behind them. But of course, let's see what this trade deal will mean in practical terms. Today is the very um, first day, essentially, of the normal traffic um, between the UK and the EU. So let's see how this will evolve in the coming days and what companies on both sides will be telling us as well as a result of this trade agreement. Sylvia, thank you for the report. Uh, Let's get to Luis Costa, head of CEEMEA strategy at City. Basically, uh, Luis, big focus on emerging for us. Good morning to you, Luis. Thanks for joining us on this uh, first programme, for us at least, of 2021. Um, Just just give us a line on this um, big call on the emerging markets. Do you buy into the idea this is going to be a strong first quarter for emerging because of weakness of the dollar? Uh, we do. Uh, we do, Jeff. I mean, first of all, uh, Happy New Year to everybody there. Um, uh, it's, uh, but we are also very cognizant of the, the high consensus that is out there now. And I do believe that uh, depending on what happens to underlying growth in emerging markets uh, towards February, March, uh, we could have um, a lot more volatility. Now there's a trend. We do believe in positioning. We believe that... Uh, Generally speaking, investors were not necessarily prepared uh, for this 
consensus bias towards the end. So there is a little bit of a catch up in terms of position, what they are carrying in their books compared to, you know, what the consensus or the trading consensus is out there now. So we do believe this is this is quite supportive. And you mentioned the weak dollar. Um, this is obviously a super important variable uh, uh, gaining traction now. Um, and in the sense that, I mean, a weak dollar uh, 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 supports financing to EM economies in a way a weak dollar correlates with rebounds of EM uh, EM growth. So uh, obviously we know that it's not only the weak dollar; it has a lot to do with uh, with the COVID story, which is still you know very uncertain despite the prospects of vaccine. So uh, it's going to be the beginning of 2021. We tend to you know express a much more positive view in terms of EM positioning, but we do believe that and that could be volatility down the road, uh, especially if the COVID story doesn't improve. Let's be a little smarter. Where in particular in emerging are you going to get the best return? Well, I mean, we continue to like currencies like the Russian ruble. We continue to like currencies like the South African rand. Uh, uh, these, uh, they tend to have a very interesting cyclical component in there. So uh, the view from an outlook back in December doesn't necessarily change, right? So it's still a view uh, 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 favoring currencies with a, a cyclicality component uh, and, and uh, some currencies in, in Latin America as well. And of course, knowing that we continue with a bias of uh, renminbi appreciation in China, which in a way also supports the general sub-asset class in EMFX. Lewis, I'm so pleased that you're our first guest of 2021. Lovely to see you, my friend. Look, um, a couple of those currencies you just mentioned, the RAND and the Ruble as well, commodity currencies obviously as well. Uh, one of the big outliers that people are still waiting for in 2021 is potentially inflation as well. That will benefit, of course, those currencies and need the underlying economies. But will it hurt refinancing globally for EMEA if indeed there is inflation? Uh, and that's the you know the biggest dilemma in the markets now. The markets don't know exactly where to go because if we believe in a weak dollar, on a substantially weak dollar, which is definitely not our view, but if you're a believer of that, you actually you have to be cognizant of the deflation trends. It's the case of I mean we do believe that we are probably you know in the medium term we will be probably dealing with deflation biases in the eurozone in deflation biases in Japan for example so uh, and on the other side you have this you know comeback of uh, of growth the growth rebounds on the back of vaccine on the back of an, of a better improvement um, in terms of COVID conditions in the world so we are stuck in the middle there. Uh, if we are, to your question, if we are in an environment where inflation will come back and, and the upside inflation uh, will surprise the markets, you're absolutely right. I believe that, that that tends to be highly detrimental, especially for those countries who are not necessarily the main high yielders, right? Curves that trade a little bit more tied uh, to uh, the, the core markets, uh, the, the investment grade EMs, you know, uh, per se. So uh, I think that that can be an interesting uh, factor here, precluding some investments towards these countries. But let's see. Let's see where we go uh, in terms of, you know, this tug of war between uh, reflation and deflation trends, given the, the weak dollar. Lewis, if there was something our viewers had to avoid at all costs this year, what is it? What's so obvious that they mustn't touch? 
so obvious they mustn't touch. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think that uh, they should be aware of positioning. I think that was Jeff who uh, five minutes ago mentioned that, I mean, some of the, the ideas out there, they tend to be so consensus now. We are, you know, it's, I mean, in some respects, it looks like 2009. So uh, investors have to be cognizant of the positioning and, and remain, you know, relatively light uh, in terms of, you know, uh, ways to get out of their positions uh, if the markets go sideways or if the markets go, you know, the other way. So I think that's a, a, my main word of caution here is watch your positioning, watch your risk. We've got to say goodbye, Lewis. Nice to see you. We'll catch up soon. I know Lewis Costa, head of CE. E-M-E-A strategy City. No, I think it's Lewis, is it C-E-E? Hi, I'm Lewis Costa from C-E-E-M-E-A-C-I-T-I. What is Semia, yeah? <laughs> Lewis, he likes to emphasize my title is pretty large. So, you know, oh, we already you know always you've got has... the biggest business cards in the business. It's like, <laughs> it's like a ruler. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, we're going to take the break. Coming up on the program, President Trump continues to try and overturn the result of the presidential election, urging one state official to, quote, find the votes. We'll have more on that when we come back. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. More than three million people in Georgia have already voted in the state's runoff elections, races that will decide whether Republicans or Democrats control the Senate. The three million votes count for 38.8 percent of all registered voters in the state. This, according to the University of Florida, ahead of Election Day tomorrow. The GOP would claim a 52-seat majority if both its candidates secure victory and would be able to block many of President-elect Biden's agenda plans. Uh, Meanwhile, President Trump pressured uh, Georgia's Republican Secretary of State to, quote, find votes and overturn President-elect Biden's victory in the state. This, according to audio obtained by NBC News. Uh, Kelly O'Donnell has more. Inside a stunning new pressure campaign as President Trump tries to overturn his election defeat. 11,780 votes. NBC News obtained the full audio from an hour-long Saturday phone call with the president, Trump advisors, and Georgia election officials. I think you have to say that you're going to re-examine it. Exerting the influence of the presidency, Mr. Trump leaned on Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to announce a reversal of certified Georgia results from Biden to Trump. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Raffensperger refused. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. 
In another tense exchange, the president pushed a conspiracy theory that a voting machine company tampered with ballots, even suggesting state officials hid illegal activity. Now, do you think it's possible that they uh, shredded ballots in uh, Fulton County? Because that's what the rumor is. And also that Dominion took out machines. Uh, that Dominion is really moving fast to get rid of their uh, machinery. Do you know anything about that? Georgia lawyer Ryan Germany shot that down. No, Dominion has not um, moved any machinery out of Fulton County. We're having. Well, but, no, but, but have they moved the inner parts of the machines and replaced them with other parts? No. You sure, Ryan? I'm sure. The president threatened that Georgia officials could face legal trouble themselves. You know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a criminal. That's a criminal offense. That's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyer. That's a big risk. Piling on partisan guilt. You should want to have an accurate election. And you're a Republican. We believe that we do have an accurate election. No, I know you don't. Tonight, a Biden senior advisor described the call as irrefutable proof of a president pressuring and threatening an official of his own party to get him to rescind a state's lawful certified vote count and fabricate another in its place. I should probably clarify, that's NBC's Kelly O'Donnell reporting, but I'm pretty sure that was a Washington Post story as well. They released four and a half minutes of what was an over an hour-long transcript as well. Right, let me just show you the US markets. I've got loads of great stats for you. I won't bore you with all of them. Uh, right, the S&P, uh, new record, 33rd of the year, put on for the year 16.3%. Tesla, which of course is now in the S&P, up 743% year-to-date. The Dow put on 7.3% year-to-date on its 14th record close of the year on the last day of trading. Apple put on 81% as well, give you one or two more. Uh, the Russell 2K put on 18.4% last year. The Nasdaq put on 44%. Seven out of 11 sectors were up, 44% higher for the tech sector, energy down 37%. So what a pair that was as well. Um, what else can I tell you as well from this board? In fact, let me move on to treasuries as well. I can tell you that the, uh, the yield on the 10-year closed at 0.916 last year. Currently, 0.9382. A year earlier was 1.92%. That seems a long while ago as well. Uh, what do you want, dollar crosses? I'll show you some dollar crosses, but I'm going to do a little quiz for Jeffrey here. I'll see if he can get this right. Which currency performed worse versus the US dollar in 2020? Uh, would it be the Argentinian <laughs> peso? <laughs> oh, my God. That's absolutely right. The Argentinian peso lost 40.1% and the Brazilian real just framing the conversation with yes. our guest, who's the yeah. CEE. MEA head yes. over at City. Uh, the Real lost 29% versus it as well. The Turkish Lira didn't do too well either, did it? Turkish Lira was number oh. three in the list, down oh, wow. 25% versus wow. the US dollar. I mean, there's Rough. huge moves, especially in a year when the dollar index, uh, I can tell you what dollar index did, it lost 6.7% last year as well. Now, come on, we're going to do a quiz for that show. Uh, which was the commodity which performed best last year? <laughs> <laughs> Could it be lumber? Oh, well done, sir. 115.4% <laughs> higher. Silver, this is interesting. Yes. Now, lumber up, we've talked about that story. I kind of drew the attention of the viewers about it mid-year, what was going on yeah. there. Um, silver outperformed gold pretty much two to one. Gold was up 24% last year. Mm. Silver was up 47.4. And I know people like to look at that pairing quite a lot. The interesting thing about silver is the very active debate at the moment as to how much it benefits industrial from... Usage. The, the, the green transition and to what extent it's still an important commodity when it comes to uh, solar panel construction. 
uh, because I think uh, the, given given that performance that you've talked about here, it, it does seem to be a very um, active conversation at the moment between those who do believe that we're heading towards this commodity super cycle as to which of these two metals is going to be the better performer. Do you own spot gold or do you own gold for the precious metal aspect of inflation protection or do you own the silver because of the industrial usage? Right, so commodity super cycle historically meant commodities went up. There you go. That's my great analysis for you. But how about this one? How about a K-shaped commodity cycle going forward. There you go. I made that one up on the spot here as well. I.e. some commodities are going to have that exponential growth as well. Other commodities are going to really struggle when OPEC and the IEA and the majors are still saying, we don't know where the extra buck of demand or the extra barrel of demand is going to come from in 2021 as well. Is it possible we see a continuation of that K where you saw, and I'll Oh, I'll find the sheet now. Hang on. WTI and Brent both lost ground last year, down 21% year to date, whereas all those other commodities I mentioned were, were making a very swift ascent to the upside as well. So could you have a K-shaped commodity cycle rather than super cycle? No, I love, I love the argument. Um, maybe it's a timing story. I know there are a lot of people who are in the inflation camp who think oil might actually be the catalyst yet again, but not now. Well, Maybe yes. four quarters forward. Let, let, let me tell you why I think it could be. It won't be about demand. It will be about supply, about so many people throwing in the town saying, we're not going to get to 13 million barrels a day again ever in the United States. We're not going to bother exploring those new fields. They're just too expensive. We've got all kinds of ESG concerns as well. We've got all kinds of Mark Carney types of unburnable, uh, un uh, uninvestable concerns out there as well. There's a lot of pressure, and it's not just the economic cycle uh, on these hydrocarbons. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.